Hello and welcome to another episode of Natural Bliss Podcast. I am your host, Joyce Wheeler. And I want you to know that over on MajesticTerror.com, you can get the free checklist for a better quality of life holistically. That's for free. So go to Majestic Terror and pick that up. I still have the summer special going on at HeavenlyBodiesWellness.com for the salve and the soothing cleanse. So go ahead and get that. And I just started something new recently where I'm doing Zoom meetings for holistic health, uh, virtual meetups. And that's on MajesticTerror.com under events. So you sign up for that and you will get nothing but notifications about those meetings, who's going to be on, what we're talking about, et cetera, et cetera. So go check that out. So today I have with me Margaret McNillis and she is MFA. She, wait, MFA. She is a bard, a book coach and wise woman. Her debut novel, The Red Fletch, came out in 2021. When not writing, Margaret reads tarot for writers and their stories, bakes tasty treats, plays the ukulele, and writes. Margaret, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So it's very interesting um, that you do tarot, tarot for writers and their stories. Yeah, yeah. There's so much overlap between tarot and fiction. Um, and I'm actually oh. writing... Another, I have a course about it and I'm writing another course about it at present. And um, I, I developed a spread for uh, fiction writers that allows them to look at both the story arc and the character arc all in one place. And it's, it's a lot of fun because the cards themselves have so much character energy and so much story energy. Right. So when you're doing this, are you doing it separately, the story and then the characters, or is it a combined reading? Uh, usually I combine them because um, the character arc needs to go with the story arc. If they're too separated, the story won't feel right to the reader. They need to kind of like happen together. So this is a service that you offer? Yeah, yeah. So I give readings through T and Tarot, which is a shop in Madison, Connecticut. And then I offer um, coursework on, on this spread as well. What about virtual? Do you do any virtual readings? Um, I'm not currently doing virtual readings at this time, um, but I have in the past and they've, they've worked out pretty well for people to give some clarity. I have one, um, one writer I worked with who got not one, but two story ideas from one reading. So that was really cool. Yeah. (laughs) Can I ask why you're not doing it virtually anymore? Oh yeah. I mean, with, with my job and everything, it's just a lot of zoom. So to, to use that much energy to do divination regularly over zoom it's it it leaves me kind of um burnt out at the end of the week to then have meetings yeah got you so you mentioned definition what exactly is definition um that is the use of tools to help us see what elements from the past are impacting our lives what elements what pathways to the future might be for us so that we can make decisions in the present um it's what people think of when they usually think of like fortune telling, but I don't like to use it specifically um, to say this will or will not happen. It's a possibility right. because the future is unwritten and anything can change. So I like to look at what the future can be to help people kind of figure out where they might want to go now. 
So what kind of tools can we use for divination? Oh, there are tons. There's, <laughs> there are crystal people ball? who, yes, a crystal ball, definitely. I'm on the hunt for one. I have not found one that feels right to me yet, you know, um, but the tea shop where I work has one. So I've been kind of playing with that in between readings sometimes, um, but I don't have one yet myself, but you can use divining rods. You can use a pendulum, which is something that I like to use, which is basically a weighted, almost like a weighted half of a necklace sort of thing. And you can use necklaces for them if you don't have a, an actual pendulum and you, you let it swing to give you answers. Um, I really enjoy using tarot and oracle decks. I mean, tea leaf reading is another type of divination. There are even people who will divine things based on toenail clippings. Really? That's not my bag, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you can use almost anything really. Um, there are some people who will use like patterns in, in dirt or snow, um, you know, pouring something into water like wax and seeing what kind of shape it takes. So there's, there's a lot of different methods. And I think it comes down to finding the one that is both accessible and easy to remember. Um, I tried to do tea leaf reading. And for me, that just wasn't working out. I kept seeing shapes that were not anything close to what the teaching text was seeing. So I was like, you know what, maybe this is not my way. Um, right. With the cards and pendulum. Um, that's, you know, that's been a little bit more spot on for me. Um, you can also use astrology for divination and numerology. So you can bring other practices in to kind of see what the future might look like so that you can make decisions now. So it's more of a use as a tool to guide us. Like, as you stated before, it's not fortune telling. It's not telling the future. It's just, it's used as a guide. Am I correct? That's how I use it. Yeah. And I think there's been a real shift toward using it that way. Um, you know, over many centuries, it was used as fortune telling for sure. Um, but I think, you know, we live in a culture, at least in the, in the, you know, U.S. and parts of Europe and Canada, the culture is shifting a lot more to people having their own agency. And I think the idea of being told a future will happen, regardless of what we do, it kind of takes that away a little bit. Um, and it is also my personal belief that it's, it's more helpful to look at possible pathways. You know, like, if I follow this road, what is the likely outcome? And I might pull cards on that. And it's like, all right, so if you don't like that, you can change something on that road in order to avoid going to that outcome. Or if you do like that, follow these steps. And, you know, there you go. Um, it leads to that. So I think, I think the art of divination is changing a little bit to suit more modern sensibilities as it becomes more prevalent in today's day and age. So do you think more individual people are doing this for themselves rather than going to somebody like you? That's a great question. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I talk to a lot of people who say that they read for themselves, but they also like to get a reading from someone else mm -hmm. on a regular basis to kind of, you know, touch base and just get another person's perspective. Um, so I think you know, it, it can, it can be a little bit of both, but I definitely think more people are reading for themselves as well. There has been a real shift since the pandemic started really of people being more public with using the divinatory arts. Um, Interesting. And yeah, yeah. You know, like witch talk 
appeared <laughs> on the horizon. And I, I'm not really a big user of TikTok, but I am aware of it and, and of the trend, um, which you know I, I think in some ways is good because it creates acceptance and empathy for this approach to life. Um, so you know, there has been a rise of use of these pathways. Uh, and I think that people are using them on their own, but also still seeking um, input from a practitioner as well. I know of uh, a number of people who read, and like you said, they'll ask for somebody else to read for them, or one person says she can't read for herself. Yeah, yeah. I, I have know a lot of people in that boat. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, that's fine. I have uh, another friend who calls me to ask me to ask my pendulum questions and she said that she can't use the pendulum because she knows she's controlling it mm -hmm. a lot of people struggle with that and I've had people say to that say to me you know is it aren't you just moving it and I said well of course no. I'm moving it it's micromuscular movements in tune to my intuition but I'm not sitting there you know like swinging it like this right you know, I'm right. holding my arm and hand very still and it's moving um but it's, it's not like some silent wind is blowing on it, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I know a lot of people struggle with that. It's kind of like how, uh, you know, if someone else touches you, if a, if a bug lands on you, it can tickle. But if you touch yourself in that same spot, it doesn't necessarily tickle because you know you're doing it. Right, exactly. So with the, with, with the pendulum, yours is copper. Which yes. I think is which I think is awesome because copper is very conductive, so that's like amazing. And when we first talked and you held it up, it was just like swinging in the yes motion, like so. I don't know what it's saying yes to, but you know, it's it's a good thing. So yours does because it's made out of copper. It doesn't need to be cleansed. Uh, no, it does need to be polished occasionally. It does get tarnished. In fact, in looking at it, I can see it's time. Um, and usually what I do is I just make a mixture of white vinegar and salt and it just buffs it right up and it turns into this gorgeous shining, um, almost like the color of this brass. I don't know if you can see that that well. So it, it, it just becomes this beautiful like golden color. Right, and I wanna say to listen listening audience that the pendulum that she has is very unique. I've never seen one like that and I have four pendulums, but the thing is, is that if you get other pendulums that are actually crystal, they do have to be cleansed. And I do not recommend polishing them the way that Margaret just mentioned because they can get damaged. So now what about energizing it? Do you put it out in the full moon? Will it absorb the energy of the moon? I mean, it's conductive. Yeah, yeah, it definitely will. Um, sometimes I'll put it in a little bit of soil if I want to get some earth energy into it, if right. I know that I'm going to be asking it very practical questions. <laughs> um, sometimes I'll use the moon if it's more, you know, um, intuitive based questions. Um, I also have a selenite, some pieces of selenite that I'll put near it as well, so touching it so that it can just, if I need to just like have a clean slate sort of thing um, and get that energy into it. Or if, if I want moon-like energy, but the moon isn't in a phase, for charging then I'll use the selenite as well um but yeah for it, I, I store it in a little wooden box so I like to keep it kind of connected to the earth because it's copper anyway uh -huh. um so anything that kind of you know gives it that essence all the time 
So is that the only pendulum you have or do you have others? I have an amethyst on the silver chain um, as well. I, I don't typically use that one for myself a lot. I will use that one for others. Um, I bring it with me to the shop sometimes to do readings. You know, sometimes people have questions that the cards like to dance around and they want something a little more specific. I'll pull the pendulum out and we'll use that together. Um, this one right here, I leave at home because it broke once. So I'm just a little bit protective of it. So it stays home in its box if I'm not using it. <laughs> so when you use the pendulum, how do you use it? My favorite way, now I have, um, I have a board that is mainly for tarot, but it also has a pendulum answer board on it. Um, so I can use that. But my favorite way is to ask closed-ended questions, yes or no questions. So I start with a controlled question. So I might say, you know, I might say, um, am I wearing a gray shirt? And here it goes. It's starting to swing. Yes. Cause I am in fact wearing a gray shirt. Um, so I'll ask it something that, you know, is a control, not so much to test it, but in case it ever decides to change direction on me. <laughs> um, so back and forth is usually yes. And as you can see, it's really kind of going now. Um, and, and then, so then what's I am, it's What's it snow? So I might say, am I wearing a red shirt? And I kind of give it a minute to slow down because this one likes to swing a lot and it's already starting to change direction. I can usually feel the pull on the chain before the pendulum right. visibly right. moves. And now, as you can see, it's going side to side, which is consistent with this pendulum's no. My um, amethyst one will swing back and forth for yes and go in a circle for now. Ah. <laughs> so they have, they have different movements that they like to make. But this one is now showing now because I am in fact not wearing a red shirt. And then once the controlled questions are done, I'll ask closed-ended questions about whatever I'm curious about. You know, um, questions like, will I be happy if I make this decision this way at this time? So I get as specific as I can so that the pendulum can direct me without there being a lot of wiggle room. I think that can be... Um, Something to be careful of with closed-ended questions is to not just say like, will I be happy? Because that's that in and, right. in and of itself, even though it's a yes or no question, is very open. <laughs> right. Exactly. I know with mine, my pendulum, when I use it, I focus on the question that I for the answer that I want. I focus in my head, I re repeating it over and over before I pick up my pendulum. Once I pick up my pendulum, I hold it in my left hand and repeat the question three times what I want to know. And then I take it and hold it. And I find for whatever reason, that just is what works for me. So obviously different things work for different people when it comes to using Yeah, them. definitely. That's awesome. And I 100% think it's so important for people who want to learn how to use these tools to find their own way, try different things and see what results you get. Um, see what works for you because I think anybody can use these tools. I believe that we all have intuition and we all have right. um, divine energy in us. So it's just a matter of training ourselves to work with them and finding the way that works best. And it could be, um, definition tools can be used for a whole lot of things, you know, like yeah. you're using it to help writers. Yes. You know? We can use it for our health to find out if we're having a health issue. Yes, exactly. You know, and to find out what's going to help us. 
you know, yeah. asking a different question. So it's a very, a very practical tool for day-to-day living, you know, not just yeah. wondering if I'm going to be a millionaire. You know? <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I use it a lot for that as well. And I give a lot of readings on that. I've had people come to me for relationship readings, career readings, readings about moving, Um, to a new location. So it can be used for so many things. And I love the tarot for this because, you know, there are cards that are in the the minor arcana that are really good for everyday life things. And then there are cards in the major arcana, which I like to describe as being for the spiritual journey, you know, kind of like life's major milestones that we experience. So when you put those two together, it's a really nice way to kind of like see how the everyday impacts the larger milestones of life and vice versa. Um, and a lot of times I'll have people come for a reading at the shop where I work and they don't even have a question. They just know that they need to come in and, you know, get a reading. So they'll say, you know, what does the universe need to tell me or, or something? And I pull the cards and we go from there. And sometimes it leads to surprising places for them. Other times it touches on things that they already knew deep down and they just needed the safe space to discuss it and work it out. I don't use the tarot, but I do have a couple Oracle decks that I use. And when I'm pulling, oh, and this is a good question too. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I do and then I'd like for you to share what you do. So when I'm doing the Oracle for myself personally, I'm always asking the question, what do I most need to know right now? And then I just shuffle it and shuffle it until a card pops out or drops out. Now, how do you do it? I will do it that way a lot. Um, it depends. If, if I'm working with someone who wants like an hour long reading, I'll usually do a larger spread and I'll either um, divide the card into whatever, however many piles feels right and ask them to pick a pile to draw from or I'll fan them out and ask them to pick the cards I kind of go with what feels right to me at the moment and then I'll deal with spread like the Celtic cross but if it's a shorter reading a lot of times I will just shuffle I'll do this until one falls out at me um sometimes they maybe you've had this happen too but sometimes they like fly across the room (laughs) I've never had to I've never had to fly across the room but I had to have them just like jump out be like oh I'm here Exactly, exactly. Um, sometimes they're very insistent that they be read for that time. Right. Um, yeah, and it's it's always they always know. They always know it's always the right card. I've never had a situation um, where someone is a willing participant in the reading where it's not the right card. I have had people who were um, like press ganged into getting a reading by loved ones, and they can kind of sometimes that they're like it's like talking to a wall. Um, and, you know, those cards is kind of just like, it, it doesn't always resonate with them right away. But anyone who's coming in, who's seeking a reading, the cards are always spot on. So do you get a lot of naysayers? Not many. I did have one person come in um, and they were with a larger group and they said, you know, this person's going to try to test you. And I was like, oh, fun. <laughs> Good. I so love that. I don't love that. Um, <laughs> but what ended up happening was the cards that came out very quickly kind of got them onto um, on, onto believing that the cards had something valuable to give them. And we ended up having a very meaningful conversation, the two of us. So 
you know, I think it, it's very common for people to come in with doubts if they're new to it, if they haven't been read before, or if they've had a reading in the past that didn't go the way they hoped or the way they wanted. Or been um, pressured by somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And there are people out there who will draw cards and say, well, you know, you're cursed. And for $500, I can clear up your curse. That's not at all what I do. Um, <laughs> That's horrible. I know, right? If it sounds like a scam someone, to me. That's exactly how I feel. If I come across someone who I feel is under a crossed condition, I would tell them ways for free to get out of it. Like who wants to leave someone in that position, right? Um, but mostly I would say 90 to 95% of the people I read for are um, eager to have a reading and it can be very, very fruitful. They, they usually leave feeling heard, feeling seen, having a direction to go in next, which that's, that's fantastic. That's, that's why I do it. Um, Cause I can just sit at home and look at the cards all day if I want to, because they're pretty. And I do have a tarot and Oracle deck addiction. <laughs> how many tarot decks do you have and how many Oracle decks? Oh, I haven't split it up, but between the two of them, I have almost 40. Wow. <laughs> but I know someone who has over a hundred. So I always tell myself as long as she always has more than me, I'm okay. <laughs> My friend does readings and she's got a bunch of decks, both tarot and Oracle. I've just got the two Oracle decks right now. That's nice. That's what I have. I, I'm interested in getting more. Yeah, it's, um, it becomes really, really uh, addicting. And in fact, some um, friends of mine at the tea shop were considering starting like an internal um, take a deck, leave a deck, a, a deck oh, swap. Cool. Yeah, because sometimes you get a deck and it's like you think it's going to resonate with you and then you open mm. it and it just doesn't. And it might be perfect for somebody else. So it's nice to kind right. of pass it on. When, when you first said that somebody had this idea, I thought it was like a, to a, a tarot deck addiction uh, get together. <laughs> I guess it could be a little bit of that too. <laughs> a woman intervention. Margaret. <laughs> intervention, you need intervention. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think um, eventually uh, storage limitations will become my intervention. <laughs> Well, just maybe get some containers. I know, I know. I'm, I'm in a pretty small space at, at present and I'm also addicted to books. So, but tarot decks take up less space. You too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't like eBooks. I like to have a physical book in my hand. I, I like you. to be able to like stick my finger in it and, you know, like reference other pages and whatnot. I have one, it's, it's uh, the Alchemist the herbal alchemist for, for magical herbs. And it's like, it's really cool because it's got the, the zodiac signs in there and then it's got the moon phases in there and there's planets in there. So I'll be like looking over here and referencing over here, you know? And with the ebook, you can't do that. No, it's it's really difficult. <laughs> no, when I when I, I went to I, I went to college and I had some ebooks and I really did not like them. I really I prefer a physical book. Plus I like to smell new books. They smell so good. <sighs> Don't they? New books, old books, middle-aged books. Oh, old books. Yeah, old books smell nice too. Okay, we have another addiction. We need to start a uh, book smellers anonymous. (laughs) 
Yes, sign me up. I would be there. Sometimes I go to the library for that purpose alone. <laughs> I'm driving by, you know, I haven't, I haven't been in there to smell books lately. <laughs> Librarians like, oh, there's the book sniffer. I'm sure they're used to it, right? Probably people do that all the time. I hope people do that all the time. <laughs> I hope I'm not the only one. <laughs> I, I was going to say, hopefully we're not the only people who sniff books and find it appealing. But no, I would rather have a, a physical book than an ebook. Yeah. Plus it's it's easier to access. With the ebook it's in a file on the computer and it's just like I find it a hassle. It's like give me a book. Yeah, and I think that there's a, a magical energy that comes with books too. You know, that you just can't that's not to say I don't own any ebooks. You know, they're great for traveling, you know, when you can't carry a ton with you. Um, but there's just something special about a printed book. Yeah. I totally agree. And that they talked about um, becoming extinct due to the ebooks. But I happen. personally, because of people like us, I don't think that's going to happen. Never going to happen. In fact, there are a lot of people in Gen Z right now who are like bucking against ebooks, who will only. The, I think I read recently that the largest demographic that purchases ebooks is the baby boomer generation because they're reaching um, a, a certain part of life and they can change the size of the text very easily. So that part is good with an ebook, but um, younger generations are really striving to, to own physical copies of books. So I, I don't think that, that, I don't think they're going away anytime soon. They've been here for good. thousands of years. <laughs> Happy to hear. I'm actually, my, the year I was born is actually at the end of the baby boomer. I was okay. arguing with my son because he was calling me a boomer and I'm like resentful. I'm not a boomer. You know? <laughs> so I looked it up and went, oh my gosh, I'm a boomer. <laughs> I know, I'm I felt the, the same way. I'm at the very end, you know, right before it switched to something else. <laughs> I'm technically an elder millennial, so I hear you because when I was when I was, you know, earlier in the in, in my career and in the workforce, everyone was talking about how horrible millennials were to work with. And I'm like, that's not. I don't attach to that. So thankfully they made us a little subgenre. Maybe they could do that for, for the late baby boomers too. <laughs> Maybe that, that would be nice because I'm really not feeling that label. I mean, not that they're horrible. There just seems to be a stigma around them. Yeah. It's like, what is it? What is it trashing the baby boomers? I think it's that whole, you know, the, the younger generations always trash the older generations and vice versa. And if you feel like you're stuck in the middle, it's like, I don't want to be any part of this argument. I just want to do my thing. <laughs> right. Exactly. So would you be willing to pull a card for the collective? Sure. Let's see what comes out. Oh, well, one jumped out already. <laughs> and that is the King of Cups. So this is an interesting card because it's a court card. So the court cards usually represent people. They um, can represent the seeker or someone in their life. This is someone who has a lot of directive men, um, masculine energy. It could be a female. Um, I believe that we both have feminine and masculine energy in us. So I wouldn't necessarily say this is definitely a man, right? This is someone who has a lot of heart, um, has a strong intuitive drive, but is um, capable of overruling that with their logic. And because it came out in the right side up position, I would say that it's not a bad thing. If it were reversed, I'd say they need to listen to their heart more. 
but this is someone who can make decisions for others, someone who can rule in some regard, especially as um, concerns the heart and emotions and relationships. Um, someone who's wanting to embody this energy, I would recommend working with their uh, solar plexus and heart chakras because they're right next to each other. The solar plexus is, ma is uh, masculine energy and the heart chakra is feminine energy. So kind of combining them can help people achieve this balance that this card represents. Cool, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So is there anything that you want to promote? You mentioned your courses, are those online or do you do those in person also? Those are online, they're self-paced. Um, so if people go to um, Magical Bard, no, sorry, excuse me, I changed it. It's mcnellisrights.teachable.com. They can see my courses. Uh, or if they go to magicalbar.com, it should take them onto my website where they're displayed. Um, and I have a few. I have a free one called Are You a Magical Bard, which just kind of helps people decide if they're in a place where they want to weave writing and witchcraft together. Um, and it goes through different ways that that can be done. Um, everything from divination to kitchen witchery. <laughs> um, and then I have my course, Your Next Book. It's in the cards. And that's where I share my nine card spread, as well as some book coaching tools. So I've kind of woven those together in that course. Um, and that is entirely self-paced. That one is not free, um, but it's very robust. It has a lot in it. It goes through the entire spread and then through the book coaching tools to use with it. And it has some um, exercises to do along the way. It also includes a quick guide to understanding what the tarot cards mean. Um, and then I have a course, Weave Witchcraft into your writing. And that runs the gamut. It includes that nine card spread, but in a lot less detail than the Your Next Book course. The Your Next Book course was kind of a spinoff. Um, it also has a spread in it for uh, breaking through blocks creative blocks. It has a spell in it for dealing with imposter syndrome. It has some mindfulness techniques. It has a recipe for a Venus bread um, to help attract readers. Uh, so it kind of really covers a lot of, of scope. And I'm currently working on another course, um, which I'll be launching with T and Tarot, which is called the Major Arcana Character Journey. So that's going to be about learning the craft of story and character development alongside learning the major arcana of the tarot and kind of working with them together. So how did you get this idea to work with tarot and writers? So how that's interesting. <laughs> I was, so short, about four months after I earned certification as a book coach, I was talking with Jenny Nash, who runs Author Accelerator, it's where I work, it's my full-time job. Um, and she found out that I um, practice magic and that I read tarot. And she said, oh my goodness, that's so interesting. How come you're not doing this with your writers? And I just sat there and I said, that's a good question. Why aren't I doing this with my writers? <laughs> so I just started to do it and people found it really interesting. Um, I started doing it for story um, and I started doing it for, for the emotional journey that writers have to take. You know, there's a lot of ups and downs in writing um, as with any creative pursuit, you know, imposter syndrome, perfectionism, creative blocks, all of those things can get in the way of reaching creative goals. So I kind of started developing content around this and working with people around this. And, um, 
it just kind of went from there. <laughs> so what exactly is a bard? Oh, a bard. Well, in medieval terms, a bard would be a traveling storyteller. Now with COVID, I'm not really going that many places right now still, but um, I, I use it uh, because I write historical fiction. So Bard sounds more historical to me. So I kind of just use that. And um, there already was a website called Witchy Writer. Originally, that was what I was going to use. Um, nice. as, as, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm like, well, I don't want to step on someone else's toes with that. Right. So, yeah. So I went with Magical Bard and it's kind of interesting. I did the numerology for the words magical and bard together. And they have the same life path number that I do. So it felt that is so freaking right. awesome. I, I mean, that right there tells you this is, I'm supposed to do this. Exactly. exactly. I've never thought about that. Looking oh, at yeah. the, the names that I've chosen and looking at the astrological numbers and then mine. Wow. That's cool. It, Let it, me it, ask it, you it this. Fun. When doing the astrology, the, astro, the numbers, should people use their married name or their maiden name? That's a great question. I would say it's kind of like palm reading. One is going to give you what you were born into and one is going to give you what you've chosen to become, right? Uh, so if you're reading palms, the left hand is usually what you were born with and the right hand is what you've made of your life so far. And, and it can change as you grow older and do more things. Your right palm tends to change more than your left. Um, so I you mean the lines? The yeah, the, the lines, the mounds. Really? They change? Yeah. And if you look at them, they're not the same. They're no, exactly I know they're not the same. This, no, they're not. But I never thought about them changing. Yeah, they can get deeper or shallower. The mounds can get more pronounced or less or flatter um, as you go through life, which is really interesting. It is um, interesting. Yeah. And uh, I kind of consider use, you know, which name to use in numerology to be the same. So if you use your birth name, it's going to be kind of like the skills and attributes that you came into this life with. If you use your married name, it represents more of your choices. Gotcha. Sort of where you're headed. And what about using the middle name? I always use the middle name. Always. So the full name. If there is one. Yeah. Full name. Full name, full birth date. <laughs> gotcha. Full name, full, full birth date. For numerology, you can learn a lot from your birth date. For example, um, I was born on the 22nd of a month. Um, so the 22nd is a master builder number. And one of the things that I, I, I'm someone who enjoys the act of, of working on a project. I don't much care about the end result for myself. <laughs> I enjoy the work, the, the, the putting everything together. I love making lists. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I can make lists all day and be a happy person. Whether or not I will follow everything on the list is another question. <laughs> another addiction. <laughs> exactly. Um, list Builders Anonymous. Yeah. Can I ask what number day of the month you were born on? 28th. 28th. Okay. So 28th. Two plus eight is 10. So that is a one numerologically. You are a leader, an innovator, an imaginer. Does that ring true to you? Well, you know, the leader part, I, I don't know about that. Okay. 
I mean, I feel like I can, but mm -hmm. for some reason, people just don't listen to me. Okay. That probably could be um, some of some of their own stuff. You know, our stuff only extends until we hit someone else's bubble. <laughs> right. Yeah. And sometimes I mean, people aren't ready. That this is true. This is true. And and that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. But you know, don't act like I'm not here. <laughs> oh, I agree completely. Everybody should at least be acknowledged. Um, but yeah, some people are just not ready. I've, I've turned away writers before if they weren't ready to be coached because it's not, it's not going to be worth it and it's not going to, you know, for them and it's not going to be worth it for me. You know, if someone is pushing against change that much. So I think, you know, having the ability to lead versus actually leading are two very different things. You know, well, you know, I was a Cub Scout master. There you go. <laughs> Only because nobody else would step up to do it. They were starting a, a new a new pack and where, where we lived. And the man from the scouts came to talk to the parents and the boys at, at the at the school. And it's like all these boys were interested, but when it came time for someone to step up to be a scoutmaster, nobody would do it. And I just didn't want to see these boys disappointed. They yeah. seem so excited about when they do this. So I was like, okay, I will. <laughs> and there you go. I, I've recently learned from a friend of mine just how much work is involved in that. It's a lot of work. Well, and as a scout master, you have to go for certain certifications. Like to yeah. take the boys camping, I had to go for a training because there's a lot that goes into it. Like I cannot have somebody else's son come and sleep in my tent. Right. Even, even if my children are in there. Yeah. There's just very, very strict rules to protect, protect the children. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And then like the whole uh, going camping, I had to do another course for that, but that was fun. I enjoyed that. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, so I guess I was also a VBS coordinator. I've been in various teaching positions. Well, I, I homeschooled my kids. Okay. So I actually was in our support group. At one point, I, I, I was one of the leaders. There but you I have it. I didn't like that term. I wanted to be something else. <laughs> yeah. I, don't really, I don't remember what I said, but when it, I was asked to do it, I was like, uh, I don't know, because they're looking for somebody. And once again, nobody's saying anything. Everybody's just kind of like, you know, well, you know, oh, what's on the floor over there? Hmm. I think I got some dirt on my shoe, you know, just yeah. it around. Everybody and wants I, the bus to make all the stops, but they don't want to drive it. <laughs> you know what? I'll tell you something, though. I feel like being in the homeschool leadership position and even in, in, the, in the scouts has given me the ability to do this podcast and to be able to speak in front of people because I'll tell you something the first time I got up in front of those people at the homeschool meeting I was like shit <laughs> my daughter told me she said mom your eyes were darting around like you were crazy because <laughs> I, I hear you. huh 
I hear you. <laughs> uh, yeah, because, you know, they say to, like, look at the crowd, look at different people. But apparently I was like... <laughs> <laughs> you probably you're looking for the exit right like how do we get out of it <laughs> but of course now years later you know I'm totally comfortable speaking in front of people I have no problem with that plus I do events so I'm speaking to people all the time you yeah know? so there you it, go. It, it it doesn't bother me I didn't kind of have a hard time with like doing YouTube videos and Facebook on my own because I'm so used to doing podcasts and having somebody to interact with. Right. You know, it was kind of like, um, okay, how am I going to do this? But I've done a couple, I've done some by myself. So I'm interested in the, uh, witchy writing. Well, can you give us an idea of what that looks like? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So it's, um, there's, so the way that the course is structured, some of it is for the book, some of it is for the author, and some of it is for entering the marketplace. So it kind of follows the writer's journey on all three and working through those. It uses numerology and astrology, like the writer gets, the student gets to see like, if they have this sun sign, what does that mean for them as a writer? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Um, what kind of stories might they be called to write? Uh, it goes through using numerology for characters, um, it goes through how to put together a spell to help with writing, which is a lot of fun. Um, really? And it has, yeah, and it has a sample spell that people can use. Although in the course, I definitely recommend that um, people write their own because it's just so much more powerful. Um, and I think people tend to be more comfortable with their own because it has their energy in it and not someone else's. Um, like spell books are great. They can be fun. When you're just getting started but I think to go from that to creating your own spells is it just adds your energy and it's so much more comfortable working the spell um there are some mindfulness exercises in there I actually wrote a visualization exercise and I had someone else do the recording for it because <laughs> I think I don't have you know, there's a certain tone of voice I think is really good for like meditation and stuff. And that's not my voice. <laughs> so I was like, we're just going to farm that out. <laughs> um, so that was a lot of fun working with someone on Fiverr from there. And then um, it kind of goes, so it goes through all of these things people can do to infuse witchcraft practices into their writing process. Um, it talks about choosing when to publish a book. I used numerology and astrology paired with industry knowledge to choose when to publish my book. Um, so for an example with that one, uh, I knew I didn't want to indie publish in October, November, or December, because that's when all the big publishers are, are marketing for the holidays. And it's like, you'll just drown. Uh, <laughs> if you're on your own, you'll just sense. drown. Yeah. So I knew that I was looking for September 30th or beforehand. I wanted to do sometime after June because I knew the book wouldn't be ready before then. <laughs> so I, I looked at the numerology and I was looking for a time that, you know, Mercury was in a good place for, for writing and communication, that Venus was in a good place for finding readers. I wanted Jupiter to be in a good place because it's kind of like, that's like a benevolent, magical energy to me. Um, and I wanted the moon to either be uh, waxing or fall or new. I didn't want a waning moon. So I landed on September 18th, 2021. And as it turned out, the numerology 
came down to a three, which is a great number for creativity and community. So I used all three things to decide to make the decision on when to publish my book. Um, and, you know, I have no complaints <laughs> on the far side. <laughs> um, That's so awesome. The Thank you. So the course kind of goes through that and it, um, it gives my nine card tarot spread. It gives my five card Oracle spread for breaking through blocks. It talks about using other um, divination methods. Um, and it just kind of leads the writer from being curious about incorporating magic to having a whole toolbox that they can use of, of methods that they can pick and choose from. That's very interesting. I'm actually in the middle of writing a book. Oh, that's wonderful. What are you writing? It's called Journey to a Holistic journey for a better quality of life holistically wonderful so i'm just like i mean, I made an outline of all the topics that i want to cover and i'm just kind of putting them in in order just giving people an idea of how toxic our world is and giving them the tools for an alternative but i never thought about using my witchy ways <laughs> <laughs> I've just accepted that title recently. I had gone to have, have some energy work done. And she was like, you're a witch. She's like, you were a witch in your previous life and you were a witch now. And I was like, oh, that word has too much stigma. Just, I'm a life worker, okay? You know, because it does. The term witch is, I, we went to visit my stepson and I don't know why, but I told him I was a witch. And he was just like, <laughs> mouth open, eyes wide, you know. And I had two books with me. I had The Green Witch, and then I had the one with the alchemy I was talking about. And he was like, no, no, he, he didn't want to look at that. And it's like, people have such a warped idea what being a witch actually means. Yeah, you know, it's true. Or that there's different types of witches. Yeah. You know, we're, we're not ugly. <laughs> I, I like to think not. <laughs> we don't eat little children. No. no. In fact, I'm vegetarian now, so I don't, I don't eat anything. <laughs> that is an I, I like meat, but I'm not going to eat kids. I mean, I have, yeah. I have, four, I have four. So, and they're, they're, they're happy and alive. They, they made it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and it's really funny too, because we get together on Thanksgiving because my son from Illinois, he comes to visit and we always play games. We love playing games as a family. Well, my middle one who is the game guru who always makes sure that we have the entertainment forgot to bring something. So he found this app on his phone that was like, who's most likely to? Well, the question came up Who's most likely to be called the witch? And they're all like, Mom. <laughs> oh, man. I'm like, yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> it is a loaded term. It is. It really and is. Again, you know, there's so much stigma behind it. Mm -hmm. Is to, you know, so for a long time, I wouldn't even accept that term. I've just recently came to it because I've had so many call, so many people call me a witch. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, it's like I, at that point, you, 
all right, right? Right? <laughs> okay, fine. I'm a witch. You know? <laughs> but you said it, not me. <laughs> so we're almost at the top of the hour. Is there anything you would like to leave the listening audience with? Yeah, I would say just, you know, don't be afraid to try divination and, and trust your intuition. And if you go to a practitioner um, and they, and you get a weird energy for them, from them, it doesn't mean that they're bad, but maybe you're not meant to work with that person at that time. So listen to your gut. You know, if you go in and you feel like you're in a safe place, then you may get a message that you need from that person that day. But if it doesn't feel safe, back out. Right. And if you're interested in definition for yourself and you'd like a pendulum, head on over to haveanybodyswellness.com. I've got a variety of pendulums there. Plus, I also have a, a velvet mat that is similar to the, what Margaret showed with the different things on there. So that's over there, too. So until next time, y'all just keep on shining your light. Thanks for listening. Remember to like, subscribe. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much.